Right, okay. So, as I think most of us are aware, we're, we're, we're finished with our Roman series now. We're moving on to a new series of talks, um, looking at the letter to Titus, Paul's letter to Titus. So, today we're just really going to spend a, a few minutes looking at an overview of, of the letter. We're going to consider um, who it was written by and who it was written to. We're going to look at when it was written. We're going to consider the people of Crete, because we'll, we'll see that Titus was a helper of Paul and he was working on the island of Crete and he was um, helping in setting up the church there. So we're going to look at the, the society and the culture that was around um, at that time. We're going to look at why it was written, why did Paul write this letter to Titus, and then we're just going to consider some of the overriding themes. Of course, we'll, we'll cover them in more detail as we go along our series, but we'll, we'll just be looking at the general themes of the letter, and in particular, just focus on this, focusing on the idea of, of sound doctrine, which Paul talks about, um, this idea of, of keeping the sound doctrine, and then the importance of doing good for the sake of the Christian message, the gospel message. So, the... The letter to Titus, it's a very short letter in comparison to, for example, Romans, which we've been looking at. Um, just three chapters, just a couple of pages in my Bible. So it's a short letter and it, it's, it's got a sense of urgency and a sense of there's a clear purpose for why Paul is writing to Titus. Some of Paul's letters we know are, are um, full of ministry and full of teaching and, and we'll see that in Titus as well. But um, by contrast, it's very much a letter instructing um, his helper, Titus, in what he wants him to do on, this, on the island of Crete as he sets up the church there and establishes um, everything that is needed for the church there. So as we as we've thought, a short letter, but it's full of stuff for us to learn and full of things that apply to us today as well as um, the society 2,000 years ago as well. So, who was it written to? Well, it's... it's the clues in the title, it was written to a man called Titus. Um, we know a few things about Titus from elsewhere in the New Testament and from the book of Titus itself. We know that Titus was a helper of Paul. So as we know, Paul went on at least three, probably four missionary journeys, um, which are recorded in the book of Acts and then elsewhere in, in Paul's writings. We, we get a glimpse of a fourth journey as well. So we know that as Paul was going around um, various places, he had helpers and people who, were, who he trusted to, to be establishing churches and to be teaching churches. And Titus was one such person, and he was someone who Paul trusted. And we see in the New Testament, in, in a few verses, um, that Paul trusted him a great deal. And Paul clearly saw him as a capable leader and someone who was useful in, in the work of setting up the churches. We read um, in a few verses in 2 Corinthians, um, we read that he was a helper in particular in the church in Corinth. So we're going to just fly through some verses, you don't have to, to turn to them and perhaps we won't even read all of them today. But um, if you want to look at them later, we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 13. We read in the same letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 6 and 2 Corinthians 12 and 18, we read of... of Titus's dealings in the church in Corinth. Um, we read that he was trusted with, with delivering messages to the church, um, letters from Paul. And we read also that he was trusted 
with setting up a, a collection. Um, there was a collection of money in, in Corinth um, to help the, the other churches and, Paul, and Titus was trusted with that by Paul to oversee that and to make sure that, that the money was collected and that, and that it was delivered to the right places. So again, we're not going to go into that in depth, but just an overview of who Titus was. Clearly, someone who was trusted by Paul to get things done and to, to do them in the right way, in a God-honouring way. <clears throat> and turning to what we're looking at today in, in the islands of Crete, we know of Titus that he was left to finish what had been started in planting and, and establishing the church on the island of Crete. We don't read of a specific instance where Paul or Titus actually visited Crete, but it's, it's implied from what we read in, in the letter to Titus that they had visited and that they'd established a church there. And it's also clear from, from what we'll read over the next few weeks, that, that Paul had had to be called away to somewhere else before the, the work of setting up the church had been finished. So they'd established the church, they'd planted it, but as we'll see, um, the process of appointing elders had not quite been completed. And so, as Paul left to carry on his, his journey, he left Titus on the island to, to finish things off, essentially, to, to establish elders and to, to establish the um, the duties of the church and, and those who were responsible for the church. So that's just an overview to, of, of Titus, of who he was. We know that he was a Gentile as well. We read in Galatians 2 that he was, he was taken by Paul to meet some of the early Jewish Christians. Um, and as a Gentile, he was, he was evidence that the gospel message was not just to be limited to the Jewish people, because Titus was, was clearly a Gentile who had accepted the gospel and was, um, was active in spreading it and telling others about it. So his, his role as a Gentile was important to Paul as well. So that's Titus, a, a, a faithful servant and a helper of Paul, and someone who was committed to, to the gospel message and to um, the spreading of the early churches. So the letter was written to Titus. Um, next, to think about when it was written. As we know, the book of Acts, as we thought, details um, many of the journeys of Paul. We, we read of at least three, and we know there were prob probably four. Um, but as we've said already, it doesn't record any, any visit to Crete. So that means when we, when we read the letter of Titus, we can position it after the end of the book of Acts. Which means that it was after Paul's imprisonment at Rome. So in the end of, of the book of Acts, we read that Paul was imprisoned. And we know that this, this imprisonment ended probably in 61 or 62 AD. So we know that this, um, this letter that we're reading was written after that time. Um, thinking of the three missionary journeys that, that were completed by Paul that we read of in, um, in the book of Acts, we can be confident about the routes that he took on those journeys because of the, the details that we have in the book of Acts. But as we've said, it seems likely that Paul also completed a fourth missionary journey. In Romans chapter 25 and 24, Paul mentions that he intends to travel to Spain. If we just look at that verse, actually, Romans chapter 25. Sorry, no, I've written that down wrong. Sorry. Um, 
Romans chapter 15, there it is. Romans 15, verse 24. Um, He says, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there. So just that that small snippet tells us that that Paul's plans weren't finished. Um, He'd done his three journeys that we've read about in Acts. But... He clearly plans to to go on a fourth journey, and we read that he planned to go to Spain. So we have that that biblical evidence that there was further work of of Paul after his imprisonment in Rome. But we also read in early Christian history that that Paul did in fact make this journey. Um, He did go to Spain. And so from from what we've read in Romans and from other sources as well, we we can say with a degree of confidence that Paul was released from his imprisonment, which we read about at the end of Acts, and then he did complete an, a fourth journey. And it's on this journey that we, um, we imagine that he, he eventually went to the island of Crete and, and started the church there. So as we said, it's after his imprisonment in Rome that this letter was written, so after, probably after 62 AD. Um, and based on what we know of Paul's route from other verses and... Um, from what, what scholars and the like have, have, have noticed about, about the writings about Paul, we can, we can estimate that he wrote to Titus in probably the mid-60s AD, and before his second imprisonment, which we read about in 2 Timothy. So sometime before that, and because that's when he eventually died, as we know, we read in 2 Timothy that um, Paul knew his days were coming to an end when he was in prison for a second time in Rome. So we can date the letter to around the mid-60s AD. <clears throat> so we've thought of, of Titus, the man uh, who received the letter. <clears throat> and we've thought of roughly when the letter was written. So now turning to the, the island of Crete. And a little bit of context about the society and the culture of Crete at that time. Because it's actually key to understanding the, the letter to Titus. Um, it's key for us to understand the kind of people that Titus was dealing with in the, in the church and the general society of the island of Crete at the time. So as we know, it, it's, um, to this day we can see it on the map of course, it's located in the Mediterranean Sea. And at the time it seems that it was well known for its deplorable moral, moral standards. If we look at Titus uh, chapter 1 and verse 12, we see that Paul actually quotes um, a 6th century BC poet. If we look at the verse, it says, One of Crete's own prophets has said it. Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. This saying is true. So a very damning review of the, the, the Cretans of the time. But it's clear that they were well known for, for being dishonest and for just having low moral standards. Even in the world at the time, they were known for that. In fact, um, we, can, we can read from, um, from history that a, that a Greek word for being a liar was kretizo, which means Cretan. So it was, it was clear that um, they were considered to be liars, to be dishonest people, just generally to be people of, of low moral standing. We also know of, of Crete at the time that it was heavily influenced by Greek mythology. And in particular, the god Zeus was very much revered on the island um, at the time and unfortunately for them um, the god Zeus the mythical god Zeus was not someone who was, was to be followed um, in, 
in light of what we think of as, as good morals today. He was not that kind of um, role model, if you like. Um, as I say, they, they revered Zeus very much, but um, the character of Zeus bore very little resemblance to, to the Christian God and the God that we know to be the true God. It was written of Zeus that he was a seducer of women and he was a deceiver of others in order to get what he wanted. Um, so, so not at all someone that you would want to, um, to base a society on, but, but that's who the Cretans looked up to and, and revered at the time. Um, so rather than throwing out those, those traits of dishonesty and, and um, deceitfulness as immoral, on the contrary, the Cretans, um, they took great pride in those kinds of behaviour. And they saw deceit and, and destruction and dishonesty as, as almost desirable things, things to be proud of because of their culture. And they saw them as a, a legitimate means of getting the things that they wanted. So um, it's almost a whatever it took kind of mentality to get what they wanted. And so in light of all of that, in light of, of their, their low moral standards as they were known for at the time and their influence of the god Zeus on their culture, we can clearly see that the people of, of Crete were the opposite of the Christian template that, that Paul lays out. Um, that's something we'll come to as we, as we look at Titus further. Paul sets out a template for how Christians of the time should have been behaving. And we see that um, the Cretans of the time were, the, were almost the opposite of that. And we know that the problem extended to men and women, both young and old. And that's why Paul addresses that in his letter later on. So, moving on to really considering why Paul wrote the letter. As we've said, it's a short letter, but it's a direct letter. And it's a very instructive letter for, for Titus as a servant of God. So let's just think for a few moments about why Paul wrote this letter. The first point that's, that's immediately obvious from, from the first chapter is Paul was giving Titus his instructions for his time on, at Crete. So as we thought... Um, the work that Paul and Titus had started there was obviously left unfinished. If you look at Titus chapter 1 and verse 5, it says, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So it seems then that the church had been planted, but there was still some organisation and some, some teaching to be finished off. And that's Titus's job when he's, when he's on the island of Crete. So to finish off the things that have been unfinished, and then secondly, to appoint elders in every town, it says. Um, when we go into, into the later chapter, um, chapter 2, um, Paul lays out the criteria for, for being an elder in the churches of God. And that's something that's, that's very practical and useful for Titus, and it's also something that's useful for us, isn't it? Um, we still have elders here in, in our churches of God today, and... Um, it's based on the word of God as, as everything is and it's useful for us to have so clearly laid out in, in this letter um, some of the characteristics um, of the elders. So to finish what's left, left started and to appoint elders in every town. Um, and then thirdly, Paul instructs Titus to rebuke, rebuke rebellious people. If we look at verse 10 of chapter 1 it says there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception especially those of the circumcision group they must be silenced because they're disrupting whole households 
By teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. So it's further evidence against the people of Crete, isn't it? Um, clearly there were some who were, who were not in it for the right reasons. There were some who were not interested in the spread of the gospel at all. But rather they were interested in their own gain and um, basically in it for the money. And so Paul instructs Titus um, in a clear instruction. He says, rebuke them sharply in verse 13. Rebuke them sharply so that the, the disruption of the church and the disruption of households does not continue. So clear instructions for Titus whilst he's, whilst he's on the island of Crete to put in order what was left unfinished, to appoint elders and to rebuke the rebellious people. We also read in, in chapter 2 that he's tasked with, um, or rather Paul sets out an appropriate way of life for the Cretan believers. Um, we have details of that in chapter 2 and if we look at the verse 2 in chapter 2, it says, Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Set them an example by doing what is good. Again, we'll come to look at that in more detail in, in due course in the, in the coming weeks. But we see that Paul gives Titus a clear indication of how the people are to live. And it's not a general overview. It's, it's specific characteristics that should be had by, by the older men and the older women and the younger men and the younger women. So real, real practical guidance and, and things that are useful for us today. These things still apply to us as, as Christians in the world today. And then finally, after giving his instructions, Paul reminds Titus of the redemptive work of Christ and that that must be the basis for everything that they do, for saying no to ungodliness and for, for doing good works. The basis has to be the redemptive work of Christ. As we've already seen, there were those who were in it for other reasons. There were those who did it for their own gain. There were those of what was called the circumcision group who were obsessed with maintaining the Jewish customs and, and making sure that everyone had that um, around their necks almost, the, this weight of, of adhering to the Jewish customs. And Paul's saying to Titus, let that never be the reason for doing good and for saying no to the godliness, but rather... In chapter 3, um, Paul reminds Titus of the redemptive work of Christ and says that this must be the basis for, for doing good. And it's in, in stark contrast to those others who are doing it for other reasons. It's clear that, that Paul is saying that none of this should be for anyone's gain other than for God's glory. <clears throat> so that's in um, that's a whistle-stop tour, if you like, of, of, of the purpose of of Paul writing to Titus. And just to, to finish really, just for us to consider some of the important things that we can just glean from an overview of the, the letter. This idea of, of sound doctrine, as we read in chapter 2 verse 1, you have a much teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. And Paul is stressing here to Titus just how important it is for, for the early Christians in particular to have 
a grasp of what it means to do good and to say no to ungodliness. So a few quick points on that. There's an overriding theme within this letter of, of doing good and not just doing good for its own sake or even to, to curry favour with God, but it's for the sake of the gospel. It seems that Paul is particularly concerned with um, how the gospel is perceived by those around. He's aware that perhaps there were those in the church who, who were Christians and who, who had accepted the gospel message but were still living the Cretan lifestyle which, as we've seen, is totally incompatible with, with being a Christian. And he was concerned that people would look on at the church and they would, they would just think it's, it's not anything that they want to be part of. It's unattractive, it's perhaps hypocritical. And Paul was really concerned about this and, and he made the point to Titus that this has to, be, has to be changed. So he reiterates that point that... that um, those early Christians had to be seen to be doing good and had to be seen to be saying no to the things of the world that were against the Christian message. Um, as we've seen, there's practical messages for all of us, whether we're older, younger, uh, men or women, there's practical messages on how to, how to live in accordance with, with that sound doctrine that we've been thinking of. Um, those verses in chapter 2 that we've read give us specific instructions on, on how to be living as a disciple of God. Um, in chapter 2 and verse 5, just after Paul has given this big list of, of ways in which we should, we should do good, verse 5 ends with the phrase, so that no one will malign the word of God. And again, it's Paul's concern that perhaps those um, who looked on at the Christians would maybe think that, that the word of God was, was not really that, was not really the word of God. Or perhaps um, they would look on and see that the word of God is not effective and is not, not really changing people's lives. So Paul was, was ultimately concerned with that and, and he was, was concerned that those who were, were following the gospel and were part of the churches um, were living in, in accordance with the word of God and were seen to be, to be doing, doing good and, and saying no to, to the other things of the world. And then finally, Paul urges those in Crete to, to keep the peace. If we look at chapter 3 and verses 1 and 2, it says, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. It seems that Paul was, was aware that some of what he had said would be interpreted by some as being to rebel against the society of the time, to rebel against the culture, and um, taken beyond just the, the bad things that everyone was doing, and to rebel against perhaps even governing authorities or rulers. And he wanted to make that clear that, that that's not at all the intention of his writing, and that's not the, the way that, that Christians should be behaving, but rather to be subject to rules and authorities and to be obedient. Um, it seems that Paul is making the point that we're not to be turning our backs on the culture around us um, to the extent where we rebel or, or we have nothing to do with the culture around us. But also at the same time, we're not to be completely shaped and absorbed by the culture around us either. But rather we're to be subject to the rulers and we're to be obedient and we're to live at peace, but at the same time 
holding the gospel as our top authority and, and God's word as our highest authority and being, um, not being conformed, conformed to the ways of the world as we read elsewhere in, in the New Testament but being transformed to be more and more like Christ. <clears throat> and then finally after that um, encouragement to, to do what is good um, Paul sums up the transformative power of the gospel. So in chapter 3 and verse 3 it says, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour. So that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. So again, Paul is always bringing it back to the gospel message. The transformative power of of what Jesus has done. And that should be the same for us too. Perhaps sometimes when we think of of the ways in which we can do good, we can can look at our own motives and see that they're... um, there to get some advantage for ourselves or, or to just to satisfy other people perhaps. But Paul is saying that it should always come back to, to bringing glory to God and um, living in, in the light of the love that God has had for us in sending his son for us. And as he says there, this is a trustworthy saying. It's almost as if he's giving Titus these words to remember and to commit to memory um, as, a, as a resource and as a, a creed, if you like, for, for living as, as God intended. So there's a, um, a, a brief overview, really, of, of, the, of the letter to Titus. And um, perhaps sometimes we look at the state of the world around us and we think how different it must, be, must have been 2,000 years ago. And we think um, perhaps that the world has been on a downward trajectory for, for all these years. But we see here, and as we look at the society of the time, we see that the problems of greed and corruption and deceit are just anti-Christian attitudes. They're, not, they're nothing new. They're not something that's just sprung up in our own lifetimes, but these problems have been around for thousands of years. And we see that um, Titus had to contend with these things as he, as he organised the church. But as we go through the, this short letter that we've, we've considered, um, we'll see that Paul addresses these issues head on and many of them will relate directly to us today as we've seen the instructions of living living good uh, peaceful lives will apply to us today as well and it's it's wonderfully to the point and it's it's practical and as we go through in the next few weeks we'll we'll see clearly that God wants us to live in the joy of the gospel and living out of um, thankfulness to God for what he's done for us and as we look at the, the template for how to live as a Christian in a sinful world, um, we'll see that we're not to be rebelling against it or striving to bring down society around us, but we're to live at peace with the people around us, whilst at the same time always striving to do good so that the gospel message is viewed as, as something credible and something attractive and something life-changing. And so... Um, we can perhaps take those, those verses that we read, um, the trustworthy saying that Paul commits to Titus, um, just breaking in at verse 5. 
He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. That's something we can take away, isn't it? Um, reminding ourselves that we've been, we've been bought at a price um, through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And through the Holy Spirit we're being renewed and we're to be, um, we're to be looking for ways to, to live out that renewal as we, as we go through uh, our life here on earth and as we try our best to live according to um, the pattern that God wants us to, to live to. So um, hopefully as we go through in the next few weeks we'll, we'll get into more detail on, on the instructions that Paul gives to Titus. But um, something just for us to, to get going and to be thinking about over the next, the next few weeks. Shall we pray? Thank <laughs> you.